start with uh, verse 31 of Genesis 1. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So after he was done, he pronounced it very good, which means from the sixth day of creation to the fall was the last time this planet was good without having to compare it to something bad. Creation was good because God said it was, not because there was something bad to compare it to. And every, t- every day, every second after the fall, we have not been able to experience that. Now it's good because it's compared to something bad, or it can be. Not simply because God declared it what? Very good. Very good. So from now on, abundance experienced is compared to poverty, comfort coming only after grief, being nourished and hydrated only after hunger and thirst, health and healing coming only to those who are what? Sick. Our scripture reading said it. When he heard this, when they said, why, Jesus, do you eat with these sinners, tax collectors and 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 all of those, it's just their word for saying sinners. Why do you eat with these sinners? He said, those who are well have no need of a what? No need of a physician. You go to the doctor when you're what? It's not a place where you'd wanna spend recreational time at, is it? When you're feeling great, you don't wanna spend time in a physician's waiting room. This is why we go. Righteousness coming only to, according to verse 13, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. Righteousness is only available to the sinner. Anyone else has no need. When you don't have need for righteousness, you're not going to seek it. So, I knew that we were coming to this point, and I wasn't 100% sure what to do as I told you that we would kind of transition a little bit between the foolishness of the cross that the world thinks it is and then the stumbling block that it is to the believers. And this is our, our, our springboard verse. This is what, if we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, Paul's way of saying believers of the day, a stumbling block to the church, and foolishness to Gentiles, foolishness to everybody else. So today I'll come to the biggest, probably the biggest stumbling block of all. The believer's biggest stumble. See, I get to preach that in a church because I look out over this and I see, do I see non-believers? How many non-believers here today? Okay. How many believers here today? All right. So I get to talk to who today? I get to talk to believers. So I'd like to share with you the biggest stumbling block to believers, the biggest stumbling block, if you will, of the cross. And I knew that I would get to do something today that I rarely get to do, and that is, for the next two weeks, I'll probably get to preach my two favorite sermons of all. If you were to tell me I was to die in two weeks and I only had two sermons that I was allowed to preach, these probably would be the two. I go to the book of Romans. Because the book of Romans and the book of John, there is nothing else like it. When you're looking for righteousness, when you're looking for forgiveness, when you're looking for grace, you probably won't find more of it anywhere else in the Bible 
than the book of Romans and the book of John. And Romans will help us with this biggest stumbling block. See, last week, if you're still reeling from the fact that Jesus told us that we need to be able to forgive how many people in our life? We need to be able to forgive everyone, right? To forgive everyone who's caused us anything in our lives. And remember, I read you that quote by C.S. Lewis, is that we should be willing to forgive the unforgivable because the unforgivable has been forgiven in us. And the reason why it's so difficult, especially for believers, is because we don't grasp the, the idea of the stumbling block that I'm about to cover today, that Romans will cover with us today. I can't start in Romans without beginning with the theme. If you're looking for the theme in Romans, it's found in chapter one, verse 16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to how many? To everyone who has faith, to the Jew first, okay, to the believer first, and then also to the Greek, to the ones who claim to believe in God first, and then also to the ones that don't claim to. The way that Paul divides them up in Romans is Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, believers and the world, if you will. For in it, he says, in that power is the righteousness of God, and it's revealed from faith to faith. If the power of salvation is for everyone who would believe, then God's righteousness is revealed in that very act of giving us faith, revealing through faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by what? Will live by faith. It's the only thing the righteous will live by. And when you read through the book of Romans, like a symphony, you hear this theme coming back each and every time. He'll put it in a new movement. He'll put it in a new place. But every time you come to a new place, you hear Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to anyone who would believe. It isn't limited it isn't limited to anybody. Anybody's definition of righteousness, anybody's definition of atonement, anybody's definition of salvation, it's good because God says it is. So the gospel, the gospel, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the definition of the gospel? Is the gospel good news or is it bad news? The word itself, euangelion, means good words. It is good news, it is great news. But I'll tell you this, to believers who are not st haven't stumbled on the stumbling block yet, it isn't good news. Because believers refuse to hear something first. They refuse to hear what the good news needs to be compared to in order for us to consider it good news. The gospel is simply that salvation comes by God's power and God's power alone. And it's given to anyone who would have faith, anyone who would believe. His righteousness is revealed. It leads to our faith. Faith that he has saves. His faithfulness leads to our faith. How many here thinks that they think that's good news today? Only a few of you. It's only good news because you happen to be in the group of people who know the bad news. Remember, we live in a world where good is only good because it's compared to what? because it's compared to bad. The gospel, I believe, would be good news even if it stood alone, but compared to the bad news, the gospel is great news. Barely believable. 
In fact, I'm coming to the point where I don't believe it's believable at all. Just like I said last week, where it may be impossible for us with these natures to be able to forgive anybody in our lives, I think it's impossible. Jesus commanded it because Jesus knew that we would find it impossible. And for a believer, anytime we find anything impossible, we should come to God. Where else do we have to go? If it's impossible for us, where do we go? Gotta come to God. So the only group that believes the gospel is good news are the ones that know the bad news, the ones that have hit the stumbling block, stumbled on it, allowed the block to knock them down. How many here are good people today? Nobody? Are you a good person? There are a few. There are a few good people here today. How many here are bad people? The rest of you don't vote? What? I... It's either good or bad. Can't sit on the fence with this one. Can't sit on the fence with this one. If indeed it's good news, then we must be bad people because the gospel is only good news to bad people. Why? Because only bad people can be saved. Only bad people can be saved. So all you bad people, the few of you honest enough to raise your hand, you're in the right place. God has good news for you today. And for all you good people, you're in the right place too because today is the opportunity for you to repent of your ways and be considered what? Bad people. How can I make such a statement? How can a preacher make that kind of statement? Because I didn't make it. Jesus already made it today, did he not? Our scripture reading, Jesus already made it today. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are righteous have no need of God's righteousness. The power of the cross to save is a stumbling block to the church because the church believes that they're good and that they no longer have need of it. And yes, I, th I think that the church has suffered this ever since its inception, but especially today, living in the end times. The seventh church of Revelation is Laodicea. We don't even need Jesus. We've locked him on the outside of the door. By the time the church gets to Laodicea, the church of Christ has locked Christ out for one reason and one reason alone. I am rich and have need of nothing. I don't need you. Don't need the power of the cross because I have my own. I don't need the power of forgiveness because I don't need sin forgiven because I'm not even a sinner anymore. I live the right life, I know the right doctrine, I preach the right things, I worship on the right day. See, the Pharisees were constantly upset with Jesus. In our parable, it's the, it's, in our scripture reading, it's the Pharisees that are listening. Remember, it's the Pharisees that ask the question, why does your master, they, don't even, they won't even ask Jesus. They, Jesus isn't even available to ask the question to. You know why? Because he's not outside with the disciples. He's inside with who? He's inside with the sinners. As far as I can tell, the only disciple that is inside with the sinners is Matthew because he's the one that called the party in the first place. And all those sinners are his friends. 
There's actually disciples that are standing outside because they don't believe that they should be made unrighteous or unclean by the sinners inside. So the Pharisees have somebody to ask. They can't even ask Jesus because where is he at? He's inside. Why does your master eat with sinners? Pharisees were constantly upset with Jesus. According to David Vandenberg, the first person I ever heard that took me through Romans, he said this, the Pharisees, they had tenets in their belief. Number one, they believed there were no good people. Pharisees would agree with this there. If we, if we believe that there are no good people here today, the Pharisees would, would agree. But the Pharisees had a big but that would go in front of that. If we carefully walk in God's ways, if we live by his law, then by faith, yes, even the Pharisee believes in righteousness by faith. In the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee says, I thank you, O oh God, I'm not like that tax collector over there. Who's he giving credit for his righteousness? But the thing is, is who's he comparing his righteousness to? That tax collector. Jesus agreed with them. There are no good people. But then Jesus went to the bad people and offered the kingdom to them. And the Pharisee says this and they say, wait a minute. It's those who are walking in God's ways who are called into the kingdom. Jesus says, no, you're wrong. You always have been. When he heard this and said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are what? Those who are sick. And all the Pharisees hated it. By the way, all good people do. Good people hate this message. And rather than admit that they were bad people needing his righteousness, needing God's righteousness, they put him to death on a cross. Which is, by the way, by the way, God used that to unleash the power of the cross so that all bad people could get righteousness and be called into the kingdom. They were good people, the believers of the day. The church are good people. We will not hear the bad news. Good people will not hear the bad news. God knows that it can, has, is, and will happen to those who call him Father and Lord through all generations. To me, to me, the, the seven churches of Revelation are just various forms of how good people try to get around what God, what God says, to try to get around their need until finally the church just gives up. They give up on love and forgiveness because it's too hard. So it's easier to lock the love outside the door So that's why we have Romans 1, 2, and 3. In the middle of 3, he's going to give you the good news, which I will next week. But I couldn't give the good news without today. Couldn't give the good news without hearing the bad news. It would be irresponsible of me to give you the good news without giving you the bad news. This is our stumbling today. The contrast of the world of good and bad after the theme of Romans hits like a baseball bat. Because the very next verse after the theme of Romans is this one. It hits you right in the face like a baseball bat. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all what? 
against all ungodliness and wickedness, and those who by their wickedness suppress the what? Suppress the truth. Wow. Our theme ends. Our theme of mercy and grace ends immediately, and we're confronted with his what? With his wrath. Wrath and mercy? Sure. Sure. For the good news, he said, for the wrath of God. When he puts for in the beginning of that, you could actually say because of. Because of the mercy and the grace of God. God has wrath. As we said, there's a time when good was good and not because it was compared with bad. But now it's because it's compared with bad. Love now appears to have created what seems to be an opposite. Wrath. Hatred. Are love and hate opposed? It depends on who holds them. If you begin with love, then you'll hate anything that comes to harm that which you love. God's wrath is against sin and ungodliness because it harms who? It harms his kids, us. There's the wrath. The wrath is against sin and ungodliness. Not against sinners, but sin. Amen? God's wrath, sin, ungodliness, wickedness, anybody who would suppress the truth. And anybody who suppresses the truth, he's just as wrathful with, if you will. There are only two cures for sin. Only two cures. You know what they are? Life and death. The wages of sin is death, so life is incongruent with sin. Death being the wage of sin will end sin too. Death is a cure for sin. When death finally occurs, the second death finally occurs, what happens to sin? It's ended. It's ended. Unfortunately, it will also end every sinner who wants to hang on to it. I said there were two cures to sin. The only other cure to sin? The blood and the power of the cross. So there's only two cures to sin, life, his life, and death. First his death, and then the death of any sinner who doesn't believe that his death covers ours. You with me? See, when all is said and done, there'll be people living all by the blood of Christ. There'll be people dead, no longer experiencing life, good and bad. God's mercy conquers in both. God's grace conquers in both. I'm glad he has a plan. And his plan involves knowing the good news. But we can only know the good news if we know the bad news. The plan only makes sense to those who know the bad news. We'll rejoice at the good news. And as David Vandenberg said, and I've carried this with me for years now, when we rejoice, when we know the good news, when we know it because it is the cure to the bad news, then we will hang our helpless souls on Christ Jesus as is the only thing we can do. So the bad news lasts from chapter one, verse 19, all the way to chapter three, verse 19. It takes three steps. The way that I like to look at it is you ever watched a miniseries on TV? This is a mini-series on TV. It has three episodes, and it's titled The Bad News. Episode one. 
Episode one is entitled, The Irreligious Are Sinners. That the world are sinners. Why are they guilty? See, if, the irre- if they're irreligious, then they don't know. Do they? They don't know. How can they be accountable if they don't know? Well, they have a partial revelation. So Paul begins this chapter this way. This series begins this way. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's not that they don't know and can't be held accountable. It's that they haven't done anything with the information that has been revealed to them. And right now their revelation is only what? Nature. By the way, is nature, especially our nature today, some, you know, anywhere from six to 10,000 years after the fall, is that a complete revelation of God? No. But they've got some, don't they? They have some. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are with what? They're without excuse. He at least has had his power revealed. Things that can't be explained can be explained in him. He at least has his power revealed. And the creatures that he created, there is a revelation of him in them. Again, is it complete? No, it isn't. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has what? He has shown it to them. God is evident as creator. They can see it within them, around them. They can understand how much, uh, they can understand uh, much from creation, he says. The, the power, his divinity, so much that they're without excuse. He says there it was at least enough revelation to at least acknowledge him. It still was mysterious. And even the mystery should have been enough to drive them to seek him, is what he's saying, is what Paul says. For though they knew God, They did not honor him, what? As God. But they became futile in their thinking. In their senseless minds, they were darkened. They had enough revelation and enough mystery to go to him, but they didn't. They don't worship. They don't thank him. They become just futile, it says. Useless. And they head down into a spiral. Claiming to be wise, they became what? They became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. The problem with not acknowledging God as creator is that you will only worship his creation. And should his creation be worshiped? No. His creation reflects not his nature, but ours, doesn't it? His creation is in it for them. His creation lives in a, in a constant, in a constant a cycle of evolution, if you will. Only the strong what? Only the strong survive. Dog eat dog. Man eat man. God's creative power is in the creatures. But not his divinity. Not his nature. We are not a reason to worship Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a what? A depraved mind 
A depraved mind, so that, they, uh, so that they do what ought not be done. Depravity means something's missing. Depravity means that the mind is depraved of something. In this case, what is their mind depraved of? Knowledge of God. Knowledge of his nature. Something further, further, if you will, than just the revelation of nature. They need further revelation. By the way, when it all shakes out, who is supposed to be that further relation to them? Us. We're supposed to be that. We're supposed to fill in the missing pieces. And if we're going to treat people the same way that nature treats people, have we accomplished what we were put here to accomplish? No. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about that in the next episode of The Bad News. Three times, God says he had no choice but to give them over to their sins. He gives them over to a depraved mind. Depravity means it's missing this knowledge of God. It's missing what God really feels about the sinner. He has to, there has to be something more than what nature feels about the sinner. How does nature feel about you and me? Treats us well, right? Nature treats us well as long as we can treat nature well. Society treats people well as long as we can contribute. But when we no longer can, what does nature begin to do with us? Set us aside, right? All of a sudden, we're not productive anymore. Doesn't have time for sick, infirmed, elderly. I'm not going to say old. Elderly. You with me? That's nature. I don't want to worship that God anymore. He hasn't treated us very well. Has nature. They have not. So it just keeps going downward. Just keeps going downward. Paul begins to list it in verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are what? They're gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Listen how it ends, too, though. It's very interesting how it ends. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Notice where the list ends. Notice where it ends. It actually ends where our scripture reading began. His mercy. Amen? What do these people deserve? What do they deserve? So it ends at unloving. It ends at merciful. So episode one of the bad news concludes with the conclusion that the irreligious, the Gentiles, the world, all the, all the uh, synonyms that we can come up for them, the unbelievers, it concludes that they're what? That they're sinners. That's what it concludes. So the religious turn off the TV and goes to bed feeling pretty good. I knew it, the religious says. I knew it before I turned this TV on. Gays, murderers, dishonest, God-haters, they don't belong with us. I can't wait to see the next episode. I don't know why pastor said that this show was called The Bad News. This is good news. I didn't want to hang out with them anyway. 
They don't belong with us. So imagine our shock when the next episode of the bad news of the shows starts this way. It says this, therefore, based on what you saw last night, based on the bad news, therefore you, and who's he speaking to now? You have no excuse, whoever you are. When you judge others, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. As soon as I looked at them as others, as soon as I judged them at others, as soon as I judged them based on the sins that they commit, I became what? I became them. In fact, I would go one step further and say, no, you became worse than them. I'm almost to the point, I don't know if I'll say it later because I'll probably forget, but I'm saying, as unbelievers, why did we even watch the show last night? If all we were going to do was last night make the bad people the others, if you will, the sinners, make them the others, if that's all we were going to do, why'd we watch it? Right? We set ourselves apart from there. Our next episode didn't start until tonight, and it starts this way. You do the very same one. You do the very same thing. The very same thing. You say, we know that God's judgment is on those who do such thing and it, uh, in accordance to truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? And of course, our protest immediately, we're yelling at the TV now, aren't we? Whoa, wait a minute. It was like the Pharisees back then. Wait a minute. I don't do those things. I don't do those things. Hold on a second. Those verses just said twice that you do. They do, you do. Who does? Whoever you are, <laughs> which includes anybody watching now. We thought he was just talking about those sinners. Last night's sinners, the real sinners, the people who commit real sin. You can't be talking about me. Because remember, the Pharisee compares himself only to the tax collector. I thank you, O oh Lord, I'm not like that tax collector over there. I don't steal, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a thief, I'm not a rogue. What'd he say? I may be a sinner, but they're not real sins. He's a real sinner. The church cries out, we know God. We acknowledge him. We give thanks to him. We worship him. Surely we're all right. But then we keep reading. We keep watching the episode. But if you call yourself a Jew, if you call yourself a believer, and you rely on the what? You rely on the law and boast of your relation to God and know his will and and know his will and determine what is best, it's because you are instructed in the law. Why does the Pharisee feel better? Why do we feel better? At least because we can keep the letter of the law. At least. I thank you, O Lord. I'm not a thief, I'm not a rogue, I'm not an adulterer. Because those commandments are clear. Thou shall not. 
It's easy to feel superior to others. For those living good lives, it's easy to feel superior to others. This is stumbling block. The biggest stumbling block there is. The stumbling block of being good. You'll pour it on too. And if you're sure, are you sure that you are a guide to the blind? A light to those who are in darkness? You want to hold yourself up as a guide to a sinner on how not to be a sinner? Anybody here want to volunteer for that? Good people do. They're what? They're sure. They're absolutely sure. A corrector of the foolish? Corrector of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. That sounds so good, doesn't it? That looks so good. What could be possibly wrong with it? Because ever since the fall, we're the only creatures that could make good sin. We're the only ones that can sin by doing good. When I say that sin ruined stuff, it ruined everything. It ruined even being what? It ruined even being good. George Knight puts together a couple of quotes for us in his Bible Amplifier series, a book in this, his Bible Amplifier uh, book in the series on Romans. He said, James Dunn suggests that, there, that Paul, the unconverted Pharisee in here, is expressing the attitudes that Paul remembered as having as his own. He's having Saul flashbacks. He wants to make sure that the church doesn't. Why does he want to make sure that the Romans do not go down the road of Saul? Because he loves them. I don't want you going down my road. I was Saul. I was perfect as unto the law. Born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as unto the law, perfect. And Saul said, and I was utterly, utterly lost. I was murdering people in the name of that righteousness. I was murdering people, persecuting people, torturing people, all because they believed in this country rabbi as Messiah. If anybody has a reason to boast, he said, I did. So when Paul writes this, I think he's having PTSD. He's writing about himself, isn't he? He's done this. This was what took me down this path. John Stott points out that even we even gain a vicarious satisfaction from condemning others. Very, their faults because we can excuse them in ourselves, but we'll condemn them for theirs. This device enables us simultaneously to retain our sins and our self-respect. Remember I pointed out a couple of weeks ago that it's been proven that every time we see somebody who we consider an enemy fail, our brain gets us, gives us a shot of dopamine. We get high on other people's misfortune. It's exactly what Dr. Stott is talking about, isn't it? We even gain a vicarious satisfaction from condemning others. We condemn in them the very faults we excuse in ourselves. And, and Saul knew, uh, Paul knew that that's what Saul was doing. That's why he had to be born again. 
Steps to Christ, I mean Christ Objects Lessons, page 154, Ellen White says this, there is nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as what? As pride and self-sufficiency. Of all sins, it is the most hopeless, the most incurable. Why? Because we no longer need it. If you don't need it, you never ask for it. Did you ever wonder that sometimes when we get confused about Jesus saying, ask for whatever you want and it will be given to you, that this is the reason why? It's because we don't come to him with real need. We don't come to him with our real need. Our real need is forgiveness for our sins and righteousness. It isn't about what we want or don't want. We don't think that our prayers are being answered. It's because we're not asking for what we need. We haven't heard the bad news. So Romans will add to this. You then that teach others, will you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You that forbid adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, do you rob temples? You boast in the what? You boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? You know, you can make a case, right? Wait a minute, I'm not an adulterer. Really? You read the Sermon on the Mount lately? Wasn't that Jesus getting us to hear the bad news? You've heard that it said, thou shalt not kill, but I say to you, I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother. So what he's saying is, did you get angry with anybody yesterday? That includes sitting at a stoplight. That includes the person that cut you off. You may have gotten angry only for a second. Did you get angry out loud? Did you get angry in here? Oh, now pastor's just meddling, isn't he? What did Jesus just say? If you broke it here, you broke the commandment that says thou shall not kill. You with me? The Sermon on the Mount is teaching us the what? The bad news. Always the person who thinks he's good is because he can keep the letter of the law. I didn't kill anybody yesterday. Wee! But Jesus said, did you call anybody a fool? How many people did I call fools yesterday? Then you might as well have murdered them. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by what? By breaking the law. Feeling superior leads me to feel no need. So Paul said, you can't go another night. You're still thinking about those people the night before. You're still standing on their backs in order to look good in front of God. Paul says, I can't let you go any further. I don't want you to go any further. You need to hear the bad news. Do you despise the riches of his what? of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? His grace, his mercy. Self-righteous people will not give grace and mercy to anybody else because number one, they're giving mercy and grace to the people that they don't feel deserve it because they're a bigger sinner than me. And by the way, I think somewhere subconsciously we know that if we give real sinners grace and mercy, they'll quit being real sinners and there goes our comparison for righteousness. 
why we don't nurture the sinner. It's why we don't care for them. Who are we going to compare ourselves then to? What if the first episode goes off the air? No need for repentance because I have no need of his mercy. I'm good. And if I don't need his mercy, I'll never be led to what? Never be led to repentance. Ever. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Those very people, those very people from the, from the episode before that we're supposed to be reaching, we're actually blaspheming the name of God to them. Because we're what? Because we're judging them. Comparing ourselves to them is judging them. After living so long relating to God by just not breaking his law, we begin to believe that we're pretty good people in the first place and Christianity just keeps making us better. So, the bad news ends with the episode title of the religious, the believers, the church, guess what? They're sinners too. First one, unbelievers, the world, outsiders, whatever we want to call them, they're what? They're sinners. The church, believers, what are they? They're sinners too. So the bad news show then episode, uh, wraps up in episode three. Episode three will bring us all together. If the believers are sinners and the unbelievers are sinners, then what is the problem then? It'll bring us all together. Episode three begins this way. As it is written, there is no one, what? There is no one righteous. The verse before this says, what then? Are we better off? Not at all, for we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under the power of sin. Third episode brings us all together and puts us before who? Puts us before God. And when we get put before God, this is the one conclusion that we have to come to. There is how many righteous? No one righteous. Not even one there is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. By the way, do you know where he's getting all this? He's getting all this from Scripture. You find every bit of this in the Bible. Every bit. Their throats are opened what? Their throats are open grave. That's my favorite one right there, actually. Every time I open my mouth, It'd be like standing over an open grave. Take a, take a sniff. All my words, anything that comes out of my mouth. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of what? Of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and mercy are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. There is no forgiveness, no fear of God before their eyes. The final result, the absolute final result. Now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be what? Every mouth may be silenced. Which is good because every time we open it, we what? We pollute the air. So at least he shuts us up. 
And the whole world may be held, what? Accountable to God. For what? For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Chapter 3 episodes with how many righteous people standing before God? How many people making a case for themselves? None. All mouths are closed. All defenses are shut down. We all stand before God what? Guilty. Do you want that? God showed up today. Would you like to stand before him in your self-righteousness? Just real quick, I want to point something out. I'm sure that some of you noticed that when I was in the episode one, the Gentile section, <laughs> or the Gentile part of the sins, that I left out two verses that seemed to delineate a specific sin. I didn't do it because I want to ignore it and that I have an agenda. It's because most of us have already concluded what that sin is and who those people and what they are. So I left it out. And I left it out for a particular reason too. It's because if you've already concluded that whoever commits that sin is X or Y, then you're not gonna listen to the next one. We're not gonna hold ourselves accountable. We're not gonna hold ourselves as our sin being any worse or any better than that, are we? If we wanna talk about those, I'd like to discuss them sometime. But first, it's this that we had to realize first. You wanna go back now and look and examine and maybe even judge someone else's sin. We need to come to it from here. And we rarely do, don't we? I shared with prayer meeting that I had a professor who said that we should go backwards in Romans. We should go from chapter 16 all the way back. The believer should come back. The believer should go back to episode one after seeing episode two and episode three. And then maybe when we get there, when we're reminded of what sinners we are, then maybe when we list the sins of those Gentiles in there, maybe we begin to look at them a little differently. Maybe we begin to think about who belongs and who doesn't belong based on their sin. How many here are a member of the church? Are you here based on the sins that you didn't commit? Are you here because of your sin? Do you belong because you're not as bad a sinner as anybody else? We belong because of the blood of Christ. We belong because of the power of the cross. So this is it. We're all in serious trouble. By the time that little mini episode of the bad news ends, we are in serious trouble, are we not? We all will stand before God. And our mouth will be closed. We won't have an excuse. We'll stand before God. Every action, every deed, every thought, every feeling laid bare. Would you, <laughs> is there anybody who wants that? Is there anybody who wants it now? We'll stand before that holy, righteous, sinless creator and sustainer of the universe and we will know we are guilty and we will know the terror of our sin. That's the bad news, isn't it? 
You remember I shared with you when we were studying through the covenant and I was talking about our father Abraham? And there's that story in Genesis where he takes all the animals and he slices them in half, you know, and he lays them out. And he, and he did that. He, he laid them all out. And then after he did, the sun began to go down. And he was keeping the birds away from it, remember? And it said, and the sun began to go down. And then the Hebrew word, the first time you see it, actually, the Hebrew word for horror or terror. He said, a horror or terror came in on Abraham. Because what he realized was that the punishment for breaking the covenant was this. This is the punishment, to be laid aside. And he realized he had already broken it. He'd already broken it. So a terror and a horror came about him. If I stand before God in my sin and every sin laid bare, I will know that I'm guilty and the horror and the terror of who I am will sit in with me. It will settle in with me. This is the bad news. Universal sin. No one stands before God. Universal fallenness. But now, we get to be introduced to Channel 4. We get to be introduced to the good news. If you don't want to stand there like that, you don't have to stand there. We do not have to stand before God that day in our own righteousness or lack thereof. The power of God for salvation to everyone who would believe. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous one will live by faith. If you're a believer, you get to stand there, we get to stand there clothed in the perfect righteousness of God, given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At this moment, right now, at this moment, we can be as perfect as we're ever going to be. We can stand in the presence of God, not merely as forgiven sinners, but as if we had never, ever sinned. God will look upon us and say, you are my beloved child, and in you I am well pleased. And you don't have to say, wait a minute, he only said that to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that deserves that. Desire of Ages says that when he pronounced that, it rang across all humanity because he was speaking to all of Jesus' followers, all of his believers. You are my beloved child. And in you, I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased with you, not because you were good, because you were bad. You were bad and you knew it. And you knew you knew that you could come to me, God says, and hang your helpless soul on my son, Jesus Christ. We can do that right now. Let him make us clean. We don't have to wait for a day. The day is now. The day is here. We can have the privilege of standing before God, and if he asks, he's not going to, but if he did, if he did, why do you belong in my kingdom? If he asked that, he isn't going to, but if he did, why do you belong? You know what you can say? You know what we all can say? It's because we're perfect. We did nothing but please you from our birth to our last earthly breath. 
We fought the good fight. We overcame all temptation and sin. We conquered the enemy. We raised the dead. We healed the sick. I loved you with all my heart and soul, and I loved my neighbor as myself. And God will say, you really, you did all of that? And we'll say, not ever once of my sinful self or nature, but I claim your son, Jesus Christ, as my savior, my atonement with you, and my righteousness. His reply, enter into the kingdom, son, daughter. I prepared this for you before the foundation of the world. Or we could stand there if we wanted to and try this. I was a Seventh-day Adventist. I've been a member since, fill in the blank. I tithed. I worshiped on the right day. I had all the Spirit of Prophecy books. I read some of them. I made some mistakes, but I did so much better than anyone else. Our righteousness is no substitute. It's not a poor substitute. It's no substitute for his righteousness. And how can we have it? We just need to go to him. We just need to tell him what bad people we are. We need to hang our helpless souls on Christ Jesus today. Don't go another minute carrying a burden of anything, anything that you think condemns you. Looking only to him, the author and finisher of our faith. Would you like to give that a try? Right now, we can. Right now, from this moment on. Our biggest stumbling block is that good people stumble big on this. So I don't want us, actually I do want us stumbling. I want us stumbling. I want us to trip over it right now, fall flat on our face. Fall flat on our face with any other substitute for righteousness that we have been bringing to him up until this moment. And from here on out, I want us all to walk and to talk with him. Be clothed in him. His power. His power to save. His power to give us righteousness. To be right with him. The power of the cross. A stumbling block to the church. Thanks for hanging in there. Next week, let's hear how, the, how good the good news really is. Will you be ready next week to hear the good news? Did you hear enough of the bad news today? Okay. Next week we'll hear that then. We'll hear that. Thanks again.